Ecclesiastes 9 and 7 sees life. All of this year we've been talking about passion being the key to your breakthrough. You don't have success in any endeavor or area of life that is lasting unless you have great passion. It is the driving force that will ultimately someday lead you to success. And of course, we as believers, we have access then to resources, as I've said, that that people who are not believers do not have access to. And more particularly, we have God that we can turn to. A God who created us to be successful, made in his image and likeness. God is the very picture of success, the definition of success. God's made us in his likeness and image, created us that way. And we have a high priest, the scripture says, who has passed into the heavens, that is moved by the, by the circumstances we're going through, and we can appeal to him to receive divine assistance. This is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And in verse 16, it says, we should therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have supernatural resources that are at our disposal. And I have long contended that whenever you hook up with God, what he wants to do is elevate your life. God always lifts us up. And I want to read one other verse with this, Philippians 4 and 13. Paul tells us that we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say it. Now let's change the pronoun at the, at the beginning. We can do all things. Say it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can do all things. Look at him and say, you will do all things. Look at somebody and say, I am going to do all things. I will fulfill my mandate, my assignment. Amen. I'm going to do it through Christ enablement. That's what the writer is talking about in Hebrews. Father, speak a word to us now that will transform us and help us to learn from your word those principles that, that lead to success and the completion of our task and our assignments in life. I'm so glad, Lord, that over the years that my perception of the Bible has changed, being raised in a small church, I never heard that the Bible was actually about principles that would help me be successful in living. It was always about, you know, rules and regulations that would prepare me for when I died. I didn't know that it contained things about how to find success in life. I thank you that this book is a roadmap. It is a plan that will lead us to inevitable elevation. Speak to us today and help us to receive your word in Jesus' name. Four principles that can change the rest of your life. Four principles that can change the rest of your life. You are not meant to be average. You are not. You're a child of God, and you have been filled with his Holy Spirit, and that makes you different in a wonderful way from anybody else that exists in the world who doesn't have the Holy Spirit within them. You have the mighty God of heaven living inside of you. How can you be average? How can you be average? Old things have passed away and all things have become new. 
That is really what being a believer is all about. It's not about adding rules and restrictions as many of us were taught, as religion would have us to believe, restrictions that limit us, inhibit us, even as the enemy would have you believe, or those who do not understand what the gospel or salvation are really all about. That's not what the Bible is actually there to give us. It is true that you must set boundaries in your life if you're going to be successful at anything. And uh, many times denominations, religions hit us with their rules, their regulations. You're going to join a certain church. This is what you have to do to be able to be in fellowship. And if they don't carry it beyond that, you're left with the impression that what churches are about are about rules and regulations that enable you to join and become a part of that specific group. But that's not really what the Bible teaches the church is made to do. It's true, as I said, there must be boundaries. You have to have boundaries in your marriage. You have to have boundaries between parents and children. Uh, you have to have a certain understanding of what is permitted and not permitted to be able to, to have fellowship, to be able to get along. When I met Jerry and married her, there were certain things that now became off limits, both to, to her and to me, if we were going to be successful in our relationship and in our, particularly after we got married. Same thing is true in any attempt or endeavor in life where you want to succeed. You're, it will require the necessary discipline for you to be able to succeed in that field. That discipline is going to require that you voluntarily let go of some things. Amen. The reason Kenyan marathon runners are so incredibly successful, always winning everything in these marathons. First of all, Nairobi's over a mile high, and you live at that altitude, and your lungs become accustomed to that, and uh, you do all of your training at that altitude. You have an incredible advantage above those who have never done without oxygen or experience great oxygen deprivation. And if you're in Nairobi or in Kasumu or other areas, you'll see these guys out there. They're just running all the time, all the time, disciplined. There's, they're not sitting at home watching TV. There, there were some boundaries they created because they wanted to be successful in a particular field. Same thing is true in whatever business uh, you are in right now. You have to let some things go to be able to focus on the things necessary to be able to succeed. But having said that, that is not what being a believer is all about. Yes, there are boundaries. But being a believer is not just about rules. It's about empowerment. Amen. Being born again is about God freeing you and empowering you to become everything that you were created to be. Rather than it being about limitations, it's about being limitations, about having limitations removed. Now, most of you know that I've loved music all of my life and used to even make my living before I got saved and playing music. And uh, when I say I love music, and you're looking at a guy that's got over 4,500 songs on his iPhone. Amen. When I say I love music, I love music, all kinds. And before you go all self-righteous on me, I want to tell you, I want to tell you that the devil never created anything. He stole every, everything he got. Amen. I just thought I'd let you know in case you want to judge me. 
Amen. When I got saved, I, I, I had to make some choices. I, I, I got called into ministry before that. I, I'd spend hours every day with a musical instrument in my hand. And then because I had to set boundaries for myself if I wanted to, to succeed in ministry, I, I realized that I could not ever achieve what God wanted me to achieve in ministry if I continued to give that much time to music. And so you know what I did? I laid aside my instrument for 45 years. I did. Didn't pick it up. That was my sacrifice to God. I said, I'd rather have you and do what you called me to do than any anything else anyway. And and knowing all the time that I loved the, the guitars when I played. You know what happened not long ago? I'm serious. God came to me, just kind of walked up alongside me one day and said, I want you to go get a guitar. After all these years, and I, I could sense God smile at me and say, I have appreciated your sacrifice. For 45 years, you let go of something that meant something to you. Go get one and have a little fun. Then he, you know, just this is me and God. It's like he said, if you hadn't learned how to preach after 45 years, you're not going to anyway. So, <laughs> And I, I just chuckled. It was... You know, just God kind of relating to me. And I, I really felt that in my spirit. So I went and got one. And I, I'm having a good time with that, just reacquainting myself with an instrument that I used to enjoy. But I can tell you, if it's ministry, if it's music, if it, no matter what it is, it will require discipline on your part. Amen. And uh, I mentioned the guitar because I, I, I thought of somebody who has long been one of the best in the industry and music when it came to, to that particular instrument. He died some time ago. He never learned discipline. He became extremely good at what he did, but he killed himself with alcohol, drank so much that one night he died. His heart stopped beating just about three years ago, and he was like one of the best in the business. I call his name. Some of you would no doubt know him. When they checked his alcohol levels in his blood, it was almost five times the legal limit for intoxication. And this is what struck me. In writing his epitaph, someone observed that all of this freedom killed him like it has so many others in that particular field. Boy, did I hear what that said. And the Bible is about freedom, but you don't want to allow it to destroy you. I mean, not freedom to do what that guy did, but I mean, really, if there's anybody that's free, it's believers. Amen. And when you got set free and Jesus saved you, whom the Son set free is free indeed, you actually received an empowerment that the average person does not have going for them, isn't working in their favor. Amen. And this is really what being a believer is all about, where unbelievers struggle to achieve and that we as human beings are all limited as believers, we have the extra empowerment of God within us that will help us to experience breakthroughs that are supernatural in nature that we could never have tapped into on our own. God always wants to elevate people. Anytime God connects with you, he wants to elevate you. God connecting with you is your empowerment to success. Psalms 113, verses 7 through 8. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. 
no matter where you come into this thing, no matter how low you are, know this up front. Once God connects with you, you're getting ready to be elevated. Amen. God wants your life to be a witness and a testimony to his goodness. And you have to understand this. You, have to, you, you need to look for this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to expect things to get better. Amen. Now, you have to develop your faith. You heard about the Catholic nun in Louisiana that ran out of gas one block from the nearest gas station. And she uh, worked down at the, the, the Catholic hospital. And to her disappointment, when she walked the block to the convenience store to get gas, the clerk told her that they were out of gas cans. So she then remembered she had a bedpan and the trunk of her car which she went and got and walked back and filled it up with gas. And Boudreaux and Thibodeau were passing by as the nun was pouring the contents from the bedpan into the gas tank, not knowing it was gas in that bedpan. And Boudreaux turned to Thibodeau and said, now that's what I call faith, amen. If that car starts, I'm going to church every Sunday from here on out, amen. You gotta have faith, something's gonna start. Amen. Unfortunately, to succeed in life will require that you have more, that, that you will need to have more than just God alone at work on your behalf. You're going to need more than just God. If that sounds startling or sacrilegious, just give me a moment and allow me to explain what I mean is that you can't just sit back and wait for God to do it for you. You're going to have to get up and do something with what God has put inside of you. It's the failure to know this and to live with an understanding of this fact that surprisingly keeps so many people that are believers from ever fulfilling the purposes for which they were created. So I want to give you four principles that will change the rest of your life and forever change your life. Number one, you must develop the potential within you. You must do it. God's not going to do it. The neighbor's not going to do it. It's not going to happen automatically. You must have a systematic plan that causes whatever potential that God has, been, has put inside of you to be nourished, to grow, and to be developed. The most, this is, is most important, even though we're born again, because untapped potential exists all around us and in every single person here today. There's potential that has never been fathomed and never been discovered that we don't even know it exists. And it's our job to find what God has put within us, grow that, and develop it because that is our key to getting to where he created us to go to. In Luke 13, 6 through 9, the vineyard dresser asked the master of the vineyard to give him one more year, and he would work with the unproductive fig tree that had not borne fruit for three years. And he said, I'll prune it, I'll water it, I'll fertilize it, I'll care for it, and increase its potential for fruitfulness and increase. You literally have to do the same thing with your life. Certain things must be pruned or cut away, which is what I was talking about a while ago. And it's not always, do you, it's, you shouldn't always approach it. Is it right or wrong? Should I do this because it's right or not do this because it's a sin? Everybody gets hung up and wants to make everything a heaven or hell issue. 
And in doing that, you do yourself a disservice. There may be some things that are okay for you that you just need to let go of because that is detracting from the main purpose for your life. And amen. And while this may give you a little fulfillment, it's going to keep you from being ultimately fulfilled. Amen. And so every gift God gives us, he gives to us in seed form. It isn't given to us fully developed, fully matured, fully grown. We must first discover it, and then we must grow it. Many believers complain that other believers experience breakthroughs and prosper while nothing ever seems to happen for them. And there are two reasons that this is true. It is true that many believers never experience breakthroughs, and yet others around them are. Two reasons for that. One reason is that many believers are in that group who are not obediently following God's principles for a blessed life. And if you don't follow the guidelines, don't expect to get to where you are trying to get to go to. Amen. You don't want to use the map. You may end up in the wrong at the wrong destination. And I'm not just talking about eternally now either. Amen. Sometimes these little GPSs in cars lie to you. Have you ever had one lie to you? I've had them lie to me before. Pastor Donnie, Pastor Joe, and I were at a, going to a conference in Dallas that was being held at a, a hotel in the airport, and we went round and round that airport. And I'm telling you that's a lie in GPS. If they're... <laughs> We needed to cast the demon out of that thing. It kept, it kept sending us in the wrong direction, but we finally got to where we needed to go after we ignored the thing. Amen. You, you have to ignore some people, and you have to ignore some voices, and sometimes you've got to listen to the one voice. You hear what I'm saying? And not listen to everybody around you. People around you will tell you, oh, I don't, you don't need to tithe. You don't need to go to church. You, don't, you look at average Christians and feel like you're doing pretty good because you're doing about the same thing the rest of them are. Well, they're just as miserable as you're going to be if you follow that. And what you need to find out is, is it working for them? Amen. Is it working for them? Maybe they aren't going to church regularly. They aren't tithing, and that, therefore they're not having a breakthrough. There are many believers in churches that are in that category, nor should they expect a breakthrough until they bring their lives into alignment with God's Word. But the second group is the one that I'm focusing on. It says things like, I do tithe. I do go to church. I do read my Bible. I do pray. And yet nothing special ever happens to me. Why? It always seems that it happens for somebody else, and that's true. They do tithe. They do go to church. They do read the Bible. The problem is they don't have a plan for personal growth. They aren't increasing their potential for success by developing either the gifts they already have or by growing new talents or new skill sets. They aren't taking classes. They aren't learning new things that will enable God to elevate them. What they're really not doing is increasing their capacity. And if you have the same container for out the, throughout the rest of your life, I hate to be the one to break the news to you, but all you're going to ever be able to hold is what you're holding right now. You've got to increase the size of your container, your capacity. I, I need a better amen. 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 And besides, if you don't increase your capacity, you know what happens? You don't even recognize opportunities when they come by. That's right. Do you know what other people call problems? There are a few people that call those opportunities. 
every great thing that's ever been done in this world was done in response to what others called a problem. And if all you know how to do is find problems and you never see the opportunity that is inherent in every problem, you can't succeed. The secret to success is learn to look at what other people call a problem as being your opportunity. Amen. I need, I need somebody to grab this and get this. Amen. But you won't recognize that unless you're developing your giftedness. For example, the first oil well in the United States was drilled in 1859 in Titusville, Pennsylvania. True story. It was drilled on a form, the form of a man who had become discouraged at his lack of success in forming. And um, he had a brother that lived in Canada, and he wrote to his brother. He said, this form is not doing anything the creek, there's something wrong with the water. It's got this skimmy film on the water. Makes the cattle, the livestock sick. The, the form is not doing well. I need to sell out. Can you get me a job at the oil company that you work out in? His brother said, well, if you will study oil, then I'll get you a job. But I can't, can't promise you one if you don't study. So the guy went to school and studied oil, sold the form, moved to Canada, went to work in an oil company, and yeah, you guessed it. The very first oil well ever drilled in the United States was drilled on the form he sold because the film on the water that kept making the cattle sick was oil seeping through into the water table. Amen. You don't even recognize opportunities unless you are, have done something to improve your ability to be able to see an opportunity when it comes. The second principle that will change the rest of your life is gain wisdom and not just knowledge. Don't just gain knowledge. One of the great flaws in the American educational system and compared to some others, and one reason that our, the American educational system is letting us fall behind is it's more about memorization of facts rather than application of principles. That is the truth. No offense meant to any teacher, but if you travel out of the country, you'll understand what I've just said a little bit more. Wisdom is the currency of the kingdom of God, not money. If you have wisdom, you can always get money. Amen. Amen. Just because you have money, though, doesn't mean you have wisdom. Hear what I'm talking about. Proverbs 4, 7 through 9. Wisdom is the principal thing. Let me rephrase that. The main thing is wisdom. Mm -hmm. Not money, not houses, not cars, not Gucci. Amen. You hear what I'm talking about? Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm talking right now. This microphone working out there. Amen. It's not Versace. It's not, you know, Ford, whatever his name is, the designer. Uh-uh. Look, wisdom is the principal thing. You get wisdom. He said, therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Amen. Don't just be content to get knowledge. What is the difference in knowledge and wisdom? Wisdom differs from knowledge in this regard. Knowledge is about information, facts, data, and procedures. Wisdom is, the, is knowledge to the degree that you know when and how to apply that knowledge strategically. You see, there's a difference in having facts and knowing when to apply them. Amen. Every husband in this building knows there are some things that are facts that you better not be saying. Wisdom says, when your wife walks out and says, honey, how do I look in this outfit? 
whatever you think the fact may be, wisdom's telling you to use. You understand what I'm saying here? Amen. Where the church has failed its people historically is that we have not challenged people to master things other than the word of God. It says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her. Exalt what? Exalt wisdom, and she will promote you. You don't have to chase promotion. Promotion will chase you down. Amen. She will bring you honor when you embrace her wisdom. You don't have to go looking for honor. It will come looking for you if you embrace wisdom and gain wisdom. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. We need to teach our, our children to master the seven spheres of culture, which are business, government, media, arts and entertainment, education, the family, and religion. For some reason or other, the church got it in its head that we weren't supposed to be involved in all of this stuff. That's secular. We need to strictly devote ourselves to what is sacred. And unfortunately, the church has held that to engage in these areas of culture is actually cornal. And so the truth is, when you study the scripture, you will find that God never made the same distinction that we have been making. God never made a distinction between sacred or secular. In fact, the Hebrew word avodah is the, Greek, is the root word having the same meaning of work and worship. The very same root word that means work also means worship. God never saw a distinction between the two. Adam's work in the garden was worship unto the Lord. Amen. And your work is supposed to be worship to God. You say, but I hate my job. Let me tell you how to love it. Don't do it for your boss. Do it for God. Amen. One of the most profound books that I've ever read in my life is that little book written by Brother Lawrence, who was a monk in a monastery. And his job was the lowliest job that, that they had in the place. He had to wash ditches, dishes in the kitchen. And he, you know what? That's a menial task. And, and below the level of his education or ability, it's not anything you would think that somebody would derive a great amount of satisfaction from. But you know what he said? That he did everything he did as a worship unto God. This is what Paul said. Do what you do heartily unto the Lord as, and not unto men. Mm. You say, but I don't like my job. My boss doesn't appreciate me. People steal my ideas. They get credit for my strategies and so forth. I, I work hard. I'm not appreciated. Don't be looking for it from this level. Do it under the Lord because the one thing, you see, somebody can steal credit for your ideas, but the one thing that can't be done is nobody can steal the worship you give to God. And what it really indicates, I'm talking about principles that will change the rest of your life. What it really indicates is that we're looking for men to promote us. Your promotion doesn't come from the east and from the west. It comes from the Lord that made heaven and earth. God's the one that reaches down into the dust heap to lift up the poor and, and needy and set him among princes. Do what you do to God. If your boss never recognizes you, God will still see to it that you get elevated. If they steal every idea and take credit for everything you've ever done, just let it go because you're doing it under God. You can't steal from God. I don't care how hard you try.
you can't steal from God. Amen. The failure of the church to engage in these seven arenas of life, the seven areas of culture, spheres of culture, was actually foretold by John in the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and verse 9, when he saw the great seductress that seduced the world away from God, the false church, the harlot church, and it was sitting on seven prophetic mountains. And sitting means in a position of dominance, of power. And these seven mountains were the seven areas or arenas of life, spheres of life, and what the church did is disengage and turn these seven mountains over to the leadership of this false system, this seductress, this harlot church, what the Bible called the great harlot. And as a result of that, the world experienced internal chaos and and woe, and, and, and God has to literally come down in the book of Revelation and straighten that mess out. But the real problem is not that, that the world has so much power, the devil has so much power, because you notice whenever the Lord comes back, I hear people saying he's coming to fight in the battle of Armageddon. He's not doing any such thing. He's coming back. He's already on his head or already many crowns. I mean, he sends one nondescript, no-name, dime-a-dozen, generic, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, average angel and says, go take the devil. And the, that average, no-name angel slams dunk the devil right into hell. I mean, we, we get the idea the enemy is a great and powerful force. He isn't. It's in the absence of us understanding our need to engage that the enemy by default has taken over. Mm. So you need wisdom and not just knowledge. And wisdom is knowing how to apply what you've learned. Amen. And I'll give you an example of that. That not long ago, Jerry stopped at a red light and somebody came up behind her and hit her from behind. We just got the car back a week or so ago and uh, from being repaired, all damaged on the back end. And when a Mercedes, when you're hit from behind, the headrests are designed in such a way that the front of the headrest pops forward to be up against your head. And it does that so that your neck doesn't whip back like that and you experience whiplash, severe whiplash. So she went to get the car after a couple of weeks and of course the insurance was taking care of that. And she got the car from the body shop and brought it home and they had not put those those headrests back together. This is the second time this has happened. Happened some time ago earlier this year. And um, it cost us $500 to get it fixed the last time. $500 to get those headrests put back together. And so she picked me up at the airport one Saturday afternoon. And uh, it was Friday, actually. I think it was Friday I'd come in that week. And, and she's, uh, I noticed the headrest is still popped out. And she's driving like this. And my headrest is out. And I'm uncomfortable like this. And, and uh, we look like two old people in the car. Just, you know, like, and I said, this is very uncomfortable. And she said, yeah, they, won't, they didn't fix it. And I said, well, you need to get on the phone right now and call and make an appointment. So she called. They couldn't get to it for three weeks. And I, there's no way in this world I want to drive around that car like this for three weeks. So you know what I did? While she's driving me home, I get on the Internet and I Google how do you fix the headrest of a Mercedes after it's rear-ended. And you know what? They turned me to YouTube, pointed me to YouTube. I pulled it up, and there was, it was like three simple little steps 
It said, what you do is get somebody in the back seat. And so I got home and, and I told Andrew, come out here and get in the back seat. And he got in the back seat and you pull the head the headrest towards you. And it won't go because there's a spring in there. You, but you pull it anyway and put tension on it. And then somebody else gets in the front. That's me. And you push down. And I mean in two seconds, less than two seconds, he pulled, I pushed. It clicked into place. I went, What? Less than two seconds, I save five hundred dollars. Amen. <laughs> you see, knowledge is one thing. Knowledge is having the facts. Wisdom is knowing how to apply. The oh, I hear what I'm talking about. Amen. Amen. If you don't never increase your knowledge, you're never going to be able to gain any wisdom. The third principle is control your thoughts and they will help control your emotions. Your emotions are what make life worth living, but most people get sidetracked in the course of their life because of their emotions. If you want to boil everything down to what the basic constituents of ingredients of failure are, it's your emotions get in the way and hamper your success. Amen. You say, oh, it was this bad thing that happened. No, no, I, I, I agree that contributed to it. But why do some people go through the same thing and still succeed and others don't? You see, what you need to realize is there's no new thing under the sun. Mm. This is a fallen world, as I've often said. And guess what? This is not heaven. Look around. I don't see any streets of gold. Amen. You may see people up in the air harping, but they're not angels. Amen. <laughs> like the fellow said, harping about something, but that doesn't mean they're angels. And we, we hadn't made it to heaven yet. It's a fallen world that we live in. Amen. Bad things are going to happen. And you have emotions that are provoked or, or, or there's something that goes on inside of you when things occur. But your emotions are actually a very good thing. Who wants to live in a world without emotions? That would mean there would be no love. I mean, you'd just be a zombie, nothing ever upsets you or disappoints you, which is one of the things that I strongly disagree with with the Buddhist faith. They teach the road to enlightenment and success is don't care about anything. If nothing matters to you, then if you lose it, there's no disappointment. Literally, that's what they teach, that the road to personal success is never care or have any desire for anything. I say, what? You've got to be kidding me. Amen. I'd rather be disappointed if my wife didn't make a gumbo and be able to enjoy it the other three weeks out of the month than to all four weeks just not even care if she made one or not. You, you, you get my point here is that desire is actually a good thing. It's what compels you to go further than others will go. But you need to know that if there's desire, the flip side of that same coin is going to be disappointment. When you don't get everything you want every time you want it, as soon as you want it. And if you want love, you need to know that there's going to be a flip side of that. There's going to be some pain. And, and you need to know that if you want to laugh, there's going to be a tear because they're both opposite sides of the same coin. You're not supposed to live like a zombie. Some believers would have you feel that you're, walking, you're supposed to walk around like you've been lobotomized or something, you know 
and I just uh, don't care. Wife just got run over by an 18-wheeler, kids burned up, the house burned down, lost my job, and I just got cancer, and life is good, amen. No, there's some stuff you can be disappointed about in life, but the trick is don't let the bad stuff get you down, amen. Amen, amen. You see, you aren't supposed to live and act as though you've had a lobotomy. The problem is, is that, is that sometimes people, though, become a slave to their emotions. Mm. And that's bad. I think of the Shunammite woman. She moved God in a time of crisis by demonstrating extraordinary emotional stability during that crisis. Now, the story is this. She built a little room on the side of her house, she and her husband did, to accommodate the man of God when the prophet, when he came through. And when she built that house, it so touched God, that that little room, rather, on the side of the house, that he spoke to that prophet and he called for that woman and he said, what do you want God to do for you? God wants to do something for you because you have honored God and you've honored God the ministry and and the office of the prophet that I I hold. God wants to do something for you. And she said, well, I'm barren. I don't have a child. My husband and I can't have children. And he said, don't worry. You're going to have a son. And that prophetic word came to pass just as he had said that it, it would occur. And she had a son. That child became the delight of their lives. And I'll just say this. Any time the enemy fights you from getting something, you better know what's coming is special. Amen. And that child had a destiny, and she knew that child had a destiny. And, and one day, her husband is out in the field, and it's hot, and that boy cries, my head, my head. And the uh, indication is he had a heat stroke. And the, husband, the father sent the boy back to the house, and the servants laid him on a bed, and he died, and they put him on the prophet's bed. And the, old, the, the woman now, she's up in years, but the Bible called her a great lady. Now, you need to know that in some places in the scripture, the word great meant great with honor or great with wealth or great in terms of being well-known or fame or, or something great had been done. In this particular case, though, the Hebrew word for great just means very big. She was a very large lady. And she called her servant and she said, go saddle up the donkeys and we're going to go see the man of God. And she got on that donkey and remember there were no paved freeways, no I-10, no 59. I mean, there, it's just, it's dusty, it's hot. We've already pointed that out. The boy just died of a heat stroke and she gets on the back of that little old donkey and I can see that donkey looking at him saying, where's Peter when you need him, you know? And what did I do to deserve this? I mean... And she's beating that thing. And, and isn't there something called the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals? Well, where are they when you really need them? And, 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 and she shows up, and the man of God sees her coming down the dusty road. Her, she's perspiring. Now, women don't sweat. They glow, I know. And, uh, and so she's glowing, amen. And, and her hair is matted and covered with dust and her clothes are a mess. And it's obvious by the distraught expression of her countenance that she's been through trauma. And the prophet looks and sees her coming and says, there's something wrong. Go ask her this question. Run and meet her in 2 Kings 4.26 and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And to every question, she answered, it is well. She refused 
to allow the, the trauma she had gone through to get her down. Now, what she had going for her, as I said earlier, the devil had fought her having this child. God had given it to her. Are you ready for this? When God gives something, the devil never can take it away. You need to know there's not a devil big enough to rob you of your blessing if you will honor God. Mm. That deserved a better response. It may look like it's dead. But if you understand, you never lose anything in God. Never. I'm going to say that again. You never lose anything in God. The devil may steal it for a while, but when you catch him, he's got to pay it back sevenfold. I'm talking to somebody that's due some payback. I'm talking to somebody that's due... Oh, what they lost with credit and interest on top of it. Amen. It is well. Now that's an amazing answer. Amazing. Because her son is lying home dead. She's obviously extremely upset. Unable to have children at all. This child being a gift from God. Now the enemy's tried to steal it. And she refuses to allow her emotions to overwhelm her. And she says within herself, I can't give in to cheap histrionics. I can't do that. I must maintain my faith in God during this crisis. That's what you've got to learn to do. When the devil tries to steal something from you, don't panic. Ooh, and let your world fall apart. He can't keep it. If you hold on to God, God's going to return it to you. Amen? Oh, I hear what I'm talking about. Or it may be that season for that thing is over. And God's got a season for a new thing. That dream had to die that a new dream could now be birthed. And we want to stay at the sepulcher of the old dream, never realizing that was only scaffolding to get us to the next one. <laughs> and so you need to learn to just trust God don't let your emotions go crazy on you. Amen. It's important. She kept her, her faith in God. She kept the peace of God in the middle of the storm. Philippians 4 and 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you keep your peace, it will keep your mind under control. You keep your mind under control, it will keep your heart under control. I'm preaching right now. Important truth, everybody has crises in their lives. You're not the exception, nor that am I. Everyone goes through a rough place. But if you will observe people when they go through crisis, you'll learn some, some things. Some people will enter into their crisis and be shocked and upset like all the rest of us when we face these things. Then they make a decision to just believe God is faithful and trusting, but others get carried away. They go crazy. Oh, my world is falling apart. And they just let everything come tumbling down. And they wonder why that God has been so bad to them. The person that is in the middle of the same crisis that says, I'm going to trust God anyway, always comes through the storm more blessed than they went into it. You see, you either rule your emotions or they will rule you. Amen. Philippians 4 and 8, you say, but how do I control my emotions? Finally, brethren, did you hear that? 
Whatsoever things are true. Now let me just stop right there. Finally, brethren, this isn't the first thing you do. It's the last thing you do. This isn't the first word on the subject. It's the last word on the subject. After everybody's talked to you, everybody's told you, you got a right to be mad. You got a right to be upset. Mm, if I were in your shoes, this is what I... Finally, brethren, you don't listen to everybody and let their input be the last word. You let the last word come from God himself. Amen. But I've been done wrong. Yeah, you have. I agree. Others have. That's the world we live in. Again, notice there are not no angels floating around for everybody to see. There are a few of the other kind, in fact. And you may be hurt by one of them along the way, as some of us have. But when that happens, what you do is finally, brethren, you end up at this point and you say, I'm going to go with what God said. I'm not going with what my emotions have told me. I'm not going by what others are trying to tell me. I'm not listening to the people that are egging me on and encouraging me to get, you know, all upset. I'm listening finally, brethren. I'm, the last word on the subject is what does God have to say about it? Amen. Whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. What do you think about the bad somebody did you? No, forget it. Think about good things. Amen. Oh, somebody hurt you. What we do is we hit pause and rewind when we ought to hit delete and erase. Uh-huh. Take your index finger. Got it? That finger right there. That one. Hold it up. Hold up that finger right there and hit delete. Amen. Delete it. Let it go. Get rid of the past. You can't live there. Everybody's been wounded, but finally, brethren... You know what? You need to focus on the good things that God has been doing in your life. And, and the, oh, oh, hallelujah. I do feel my anointing kicking in right now. You must learn to do what God instructed both Moses and Jehoshaphat to do. Moses, when Israel was at the impassable border or boundary obstacle of the Red Sea, he had nowhere to go. He had the mountains on one side, desert on another, and Pharaoh behind him. My old grandmother used to talk about being between the devil and the deep blue sea. I think that's where that phrase came from. Moses has got the devil behind him, got the sea in front of him, got the desert on the right hand and mountain range on the left hand. And he has nowhere to go. Jehoshaphat is in a valley that from one end of it to the other, stretching out into infinity and to the distant horizon is a normie so big he can't even count them all. And you know what God says to both of them? Stand still and see the salvation of God. When your situation is so bad, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Oh, let me say it again. Whatever things are noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure. Don't keep playing that recording of all of that negative stuff over and over. Oh, I'm going to die from this diagnosis. I'm going to lose my job. Economy's going bad. This marriage won't make it. My kids are going to die drug addicts. No, 
finally, brethren, where you end up is where God said you need to be. You focus on God. And you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Amen. In the natural on both occasions, the situation looked hopeless. But God instructed them to not be afraid and to trust him. And they would see his salvation. And they did. Why do you focus on whatsoever things are true? Put it back up there. That scripture literally changed my life. Whatsoever things are noble. Why do you focus on that? Because that's your future. Hmm. And you don't want to spend all of your life looking over your shoulder at your past. I do this from time to time. Get your hands out. We're driving the highway of life right now. You know the car you're steering? That's your life. Now everybody do this. You know what you're going to do? You're going to make me have to get out there and fix my headrest again. That's what you're going to do. Because whenever you look over your shoulder, you always have a wreck. That's what happens. Don't live in the past. Come out of the past and into the future that God has for you. And I'm done. But the fourth principle is simply this. Never give up. Don't quit. Don't ever quit. At the end of the day, God's word is going to come to pass in your life. And You can't defeat God. If God said it, God's going to do it. It it might not be today or tomorrow, but it's going to happen before it's over with.